0: I'm Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI, Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we're talking with Jim Sporer, Director of IBM Cognitive Operations Group. Jim has had numerous high-level positions at IBM in venture capital, global university programs, and is also the founder of ISIP, International Society of Service Innovation Professionals. Jim is also the editor of our books on service thinking and The Interconnected Individual and has provided wonderful guidance to us. We'll discuss how Jim views AI as part of the future of work and how you can get ready to navigate your career and build a better business through understanding how to utilize AI. So let's begin.
1: Hi, Jim. Hey, long time, no talk.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one thing I had to think about, about the whole term artificial intelligence, it reminds me that when the first, you know, car came, it was a horseless carriage. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about, um, you know, the internet being wireless, yeah, we kind of define things. In terms of the, looking in the rearview mirror, as what um, you know, <laughs> yes, a, a, as the context, <laughs> and we, we kind of miss where we're going because we're kind of referring to it as what it what we know. Right. And I'm wondering whether the term itself, artificial intelligence, is itself one of those things that the word "artificial" and
1: kind yeah, of I think s- really, sullies the water. I think artificial intelligence has a a rich history <laughs> and yeah. uh, we still haven't solved it. But as we get closer to solving it, it will probably not be the term that's used. There'll be other terms that start right. up, perhaps right. Some of the augmented intelligence stuff of Doug's for sure. Yes. Is one is the direction it's headed. Um, but maybe there's even other things that we're not even thinking about because, uh, You know, intelligence is an interesting thing, not just in machines and people, but animals and organizations and uh, countries, cities, all service systems. There's this intelligence aspect to them. So, yeah, yeah, I think there'll be new vocabulary for sure.
0: Well, why don't we just I'm not sure if you want to talk about that, but um, it just occurred to me as you know, the word augmented intelligence always seemed to me to be a better
1: term than yeah I agree negative <laughs> i agree i well, I think you know it's all historical context though
0: right right well, since that term's been around for the last forty years i i, I don 't want to presume that we're going to change that in this conversation, so let's stay with <laughs> artificial intelligence I assume no.
1: okay i 'm going to get started it was another term for computers back then and um so so the term artificial intelligence was sort of this exuberance (laughs) this joy of of these researchers who said oh we finally have a machine that's sophisticated enough that we can build an artificial intelligence so within that historical context it it made a lot of sense but today you know now in 2018 62 years later a lot of the applications of that capability are, in fact, to augment human intelligence. And let me just give three examples that I think everybody listening to this podcast is probably aware of. But Siri, you know, there's there's an AI system, you know, that's kind of like an assistant to augment your intelligence. You know, Google Now is Another example, certainly IBM's Watson system is all about uh, augmenting the intelligence of, uh, of people. So, so yeah, in, you know, I think uh, intelligence augmentation is probably uh, where people see the excitement these days because the uh, uh, computers, the quote unquote thinking machines have gotten very, very small. I mean, most of us are never more than 10 feet away from our smartphone right these days so the thinking machine the the computer part has gotten very mobile it's with us all the time and now we're wondering how do we use how do we use this capability to be more creative to be more productive
0: great did you have um, you had a reference uh to Fu lee's recent ted talk uh maybe you might Mention something about
1: that. Yeah. So Kai-Fu Lee was one of the people I worked with. Um, I should mention the startup that I did when I got out of MIT was a speech recognition startup, and Kai-Fu Lee was uh, one of my colleagues at Apple Computer. (laughs) Um, When I was at Apple Computer, he was the head of uh, speech speech recognition at Apple Computer in the early '90s, and his TED talk is wonderful because it's all about how AI. Uh, may save our humanity. And um, I've, I've long said that I think AI is going to be the best tool for understanding ourselves and, and our species, you know, understanding how we think under, you know, it's, it's going to be a microscope to understand uh, us very, very well. And Kai-Fu Lee and his Ted talk, which is wonderful. And I encourage people to take a look at it. I actually found out about it because uh, Tim O'Reilly I know he was a big influence on your book, The Interconnected Individual. Uh, Tim O'Reilly tweeted about Kai Fui's TED talk, So I went out and watched it. And it was wonderful because he basically talked about, um, you know, it starts with a very, very personal experience in his life at Apple (laughs) uh, where he uh, made a decision that he thought was like a you know, wouldn't be the way he would make the decision today. Let's put it that way. And, um, and he creates this case for as artificial intelligence becomes more and more capable, he draws these four quadrants that look at different types of work. And um, the quadrant that he sees us moving into is really where, AI systems are helping us be much more creative and productive than we could be without the AI. And the, you know, he explains it in a beautiful way and I'm not going to try to uh, explain it as elegantly as he did. I'll just encourage people to go out and see that, that terrific uh, Ted talk of Kai-Fu Lee's. But, but the way I I try to explain um, that notion that he was getting at is is really much more in alignment i think with what you and hunter propose in your interconnected individual book which is that as we get more and more ai capability it's in a way it's going to become easier and easier to become an entrepreneur because if you talk to most entrepreneurs you know they've got ideas oh my gosh they've got more than one idea they've got dozens of ideas so instead of being a serial entrepreneur, what they really wish they could be is like a parallel entrepreneur. But the problem yeah. with um, yeah. the problem is is you know the cost of labor. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to start a company, you're you 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 have got the shortage of you know you've got the idea, you've got the drive, you've got the passion, you've got the empathy for you know the yeah. customers or future customers, the problem you're going to help them solve. But, boy, you're going to need you know, um, different types of people. You're going to need your marketing people. You're going to need your computer science people. You're going to need whoever you're going to need. You know, there's an array of individuals that uh, you're going to have to hire to help you become successful. And um, as we get more and more AI capability, the, the apps on our smartphone <laughs> start growing up. And the apps become little AI agents and the apps have voice interfaces and the apps have episodic memory. And the apps eventually become the digital workers that empower all of us to be in that quadrant that Kai-Fu Lee talked about. Where, you know, it's much more about being a creative entrepreneur um, than it is about, you know, slogging away at a job that you don't really like. <laughs> so... Right. He's very optimistic like you and Hunter are in your book and like I am. And uh, not to say there's not challenges, but for people who are willing to become lifelong learners, who are willing to, you know, passionately chase opportunities that they see entrepreneurial opportunities. It's going to be the golden era. It's going to be the golden age for those people who, have that constant internal drive to keep learning, to look for challenges and problems, because they're going to be enabled to be successful like no generation in the past ever has been.
0: Well, Jim, as you know, I'm a career transition coach. And one of the things that I hope uh, many of us who are coaches can do is help people uh, find work on stuff that matters to them, and be able to utilize their talents and utilize their capabilities and collaboration with others. So this is very much an augmentation of that uh, that goal. And um, with that, I'd, I'd I'd like to to hear your suggestions of how people can get ready to work with AI, given sure.
1: that it's coming. Yeah, I just yeah. want well, to get ready. That relates to my day job at IBM. So I'm happy to talk <laughs> about that. Um, seriously, I lead IBM's open source artificial intelligence work. That means, you know, working with uh, TensorFlow and PyTorch and Onyx and all of the great, great things out there that are um, open source and artificial intelligence. And it's it's a huge amount of, of uh, code and it's growing. And, and the way I like to suggests that um, that people who want to prepare for the future is everybody should get a GitHub account, everybody. Now, Microsoft mm-hmm. just offered $7 billion to acquire uh, GitHub, which is, should be some indication of um, you know, how, how much Microsoft values uh, GitHub. But GitHub is, is, is like um, Wikipedia in some ways. Everybody knows about Wikipedia. You go there when you want to, you know, look up some information, and it's got information on all kinds of amazing things. Um, and the same is true of GitHub. GitHub has uh, code, open source code, on just about everything you can imagine. There's there's GitHub code on uh, code to automatically generate Chinese poetry. <laughs> there's There's GitHub code for... You know, of course, all the deep learning frameworks. There's uh, GitHub code on artificial intelligence planning systems. There's GitHub code um, for. uh, I remember when my son Stephen was—he had an internship at NASA a couple years ago, and he he came home and he says, "Hey, Dad, I've got to simulate uh, ice flows on Pluto. Where do I begin?" And I said, "Have you gone to GitHub?" And He goes, no. And I say, well, go out to GitHub and search for, (laughs) you know, simulated uh, ice flows on exo or or satellites or something like that. And he says, hey, dad, there's like seven things out here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's this amazing and it's growing rapidly. It's like, uh, and (laughs) some people will say, but Jim, I'm not a programmer. I've had so many people say that to me in their life. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Go out there, search for what you're interested in, and there's text descriptions of it. You can always find a friend who's a programmer. But what's exciting is that eventually you won't even have to be a programmer to use GitHub. You'll just be able yeah. to say, you know, to your digital worker on your smartphone that is a programmer, you'll say, Hey, digital worker on my smartphone who's a programmer. Go to GitHub, download that. Uh, simulated ice flow stuff, plug in the data that I found out today from the new horizons probe, you know, from NASA and um, Mm. show me the results. And I don't know if you're familiar with the knowledge navigator video, but we are getting uh, within 10 years, the knowledge, knowledge navigator will be real. You will be able to talk to your smartphone about going out and getting data looking at papers, reanalyzing the data with new tools, um, all of that um, that was highlighted in that wonderful Apple computer uh, vision of the future um, will become a reality in 10 years. And we're well on our way to, to, to getting to that level of, of system. Well,
0: it sounds like your mentor, Doug Engelbart's, idea of raising collective intelligence is actually becoming real with something like
1: knowledge. Network. It is. I it wish is. Doug had uh, been uh, able to hang in there a little longer with us because he would, so much of uh, what he had talked about, um, yeah, it was, uh, his, uh, he passed away. In fact, the same year that IBM started talking about augmented intelligence on our website with Watson. So um, yeah. certainly Doug would, would uh, definitely had been uh, delighted, I think, to see his vision um, that he spoke of so many years before. Actually, this is the uh, 1968 is when he did his big demo in San Francisco. So yes, that was 50. Uh, 15- and if
0: anybody is interested, if you if you Google uh, the demo, you will see Doug Engelbart. The mother
1: of all demos. That's right. That's right. Mother of all demos. The most famous demo ever given. Um, That's right. uh, Yeah, and I think you know, besides GitHub, you know, the other thing people should learn about is Kaggle. Now, Google acquired Kaggle Mm -hmm. a few years ago, but Kaggle is where the challenges are, and so this is very, very exciting to me. So, Kaggle Mm -hmm. is where you go to find the data, and different companies put data that they want AI systems to analyze and be able to predict. They put it on Kaggle and then they uh, run competitions. And every week there's a team of people somewhere in the world that produces a better score on the data. You know, maybe it's to predict, um, you know, purchasing patterns. Uh, I think a lot of people remember the Netflix, uh, Kind of example, predict what kind of movies people will want to watch given the history of movies they've watched. Mm-hmm. A lot of recommendation systems, of course, uh, are a type of AI prediction system. Anyway, Kaggle has competitions about education, competitions about healthcare, competitions about retail. Every single industry you can possibly imagine, you know, there's some organization out there that has data and they want to do something intelligent with that data. So, yeah, if you think about entrepreneurship and AI, you know, GitHub, Kaggle are really, really relevant. And uh, I've also written a blog post. I think I wrote it just the day before. Maybe I wrote that summary of your interconnected uh, individual book. So it's like right there on my uh, service, service-science.info service uh, website where I blog. I wrote a uh, blog post called... Um, AI progress equals challenges, compute, plus data, um, uh, plus, um, uh, let me go look it up, <laughs> uh, all of the different elements that you need to, to make AI progress. You need computing power, you need data, you need these challenge organizations, and you need algorithms. Um, and so uh, people might enjoy reading that because I kind of lay out how long it'll take to solve AI, which is about 20 years by the best estimates we have from many sources. So yeah, I think it's a very, you know, it's a AI will, will allow entrepreneurs to flourish. There'll be a golden age of entrepreneurship. Thanks to artificial intelligence.
0: Well, you know, as as we look at skill sets and upskilling and certainly learning systems and getting GitHub and uh, getting on G- Kaggle and looking at Knowledge Navigator and, uh, and the wonderful resources that you've mentioned, when we're looking at the human skill set, uh, what skill sets will be most valued for working with AI for someone who's looking five to 10 years in the future and wants to be navigating their career with uh, recognizing that AI is going to be an integral part of work.
1: Yeah. Well, you, uh, in your book, you have, uh, (laughs) you've nailed it. So uh, I would say empathy is the (laughs) the skill that has to be cultivated the most. And if, uh, if the listeners want to go out and type in IDEO, the design firm and T-shaped people, they can find some great articles out there about the IDEO calls the broad part of the T, the, the, the wide part at the top of the T, they, they call that empathy and empathy is really that um, most incredible skill of being able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes to see the world from their perspective. And that's what, that's what great uh, business people can do. That's what great, uh, entrepreneurs can do. I remember the, the true story of, of Steve Jobs, where the Macintosh engineers, you know, they were working on the boot up uh, process for the Mac. And it was, uh, Steve insisted that it be able to boot up in under a minute, and they had it down to two minutes. And and they were saying, you know, to Steve, they were pushing back saying, hey, two minutes is good enough, watch, you know, and it, it'll boot up in two minutes. And Steve you know, did this. He right. says, well, I expect to sell a hundred million of these. And if it, everybody boots it up every morning, that's a hundred million wasted minutes of productivity on the planet every day. That's unacceptable. <laughs> Reduce it. So, um, right. it is, it's, it's empathy really is the most important skill. And then you need social emotional learning skills because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, dealing with keeping an optimistic, uh, growth mindset, in the face of adversity is not easy. Um, So social, emotional learning skills. In fact, there's lots of studies that show the, um, a lot of uh, individuals who go to college for the first time, you know, first in their family, the reason they end up dropping out at very high numbers is not because they can't do the intellectual work. It's because of the social, emotional, you know, uh, aspects of, of going to college. And so empathy, social, emotional learning skills. And if uh, folks watch that Kai-Fu Lee TED Talk, they'll certainly see, um, you know, a lot more elegantly put than I'm putting it right now, how important empathy and social, emotional learning skills are going to be for differentiating what we're good at and the kinds of interactions, you know, people can have with people versus uh, what machines will be helping us with.
0: That's great, Jim. And maybe we can close with two ideas that in our past discussions you you had brought up that I really liked. That sometimes uh, young people, particularly when they are majoring in university or they're trying to decide what career path, uh, they're looking functionally at industries or they're looking at pay scales or they're looking at all kinds of factors. But you, you raised an idea of what problem do you want to solve or be a part take a part in solving as one orientation to uh, thinking about career, and the other is to be a solutions provider rather than the problem solver. Um, that's a right. very intriguing this, uh, way of being oneself. so let's start with this idea. What problem do you want to solve as a, uh, a way of helping people to decide either in the beginning of their career or mid-career when they are stuck and they they are looking for meaning and purpose? And how would you help them in, in using that idea of what problem do you want to solve and how do you talk about it and do you find uh, resources to think about where you might belong in that, in that quest?
1: Yeah, well... I- just about everyone I mentor um, the first thing I asked them to spend about a week thinking about is if you had a hundred workers working for you what problem would you go after um, you don't have to worry about paying them you don't have to worry about you know they're they're going to be hard workers working on whatever you want but you've got a hundred of them and you have to organize them and and put them towards some purpose. So I think a lot of people's imagination about what they problem they would solve gets cut off because they think, okay, you know, what are my skills? What are my capabilities? What are, you know, what can I do? What problems can I solve? And that's a very, I shaped (laughs) Uh, old way of right. thinking about it. The T-shaped way, the interconnected, individual way of thinking about it is much more. Look at all of these networks I'm in. Look at all these resources I have. Uh, you know, if I if I could mobilize a hundred workers on a particular problem, which one do I think is the one that needs the most attention in the world today that I would be proud to be part of? Uh, solving that I would like look back at my life and the future, the future Jim would look back at the past Jim or the future Jeff would look back at the past Jeff and say, wow, good decision. Good decision. Um, So that's, that's a kind of creativity that has to be cultivated because I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe very young people still have that kind of creativity, but as, as people get more and more practical um, sometimes they, they narrow what they're thinking about too much, and um, there's just so many opportunities, so many. Um, you know, part of being a solution seeker is is reading a lot, is is looking around a lot, is talking to other people and finding out what they care about, and um, you know, I get very excited when I see different technological innovations. I get very excited when I see um, people making a difference, um, organizations making a difference, things that are different in other cultures than they are here. um, Things that are local, you know, there's all these different ways of exploring for um, becoming a solution seeker um, that uh, has to be cultivated. And I think you and, Again, you and Hunter do a good job, Jeff, and you're a book, The Interconnected Individual. So I don't I don't mean to just keep plugging people should read that, but I, I definitely think they should read that because you provide a lot of good tools there. And I guess maybe the last thing I would say about this is, you know, as I look back on my life and what's gotten me most excited was when I could see um, not just the future, (laughs) you know, a a lot of uh, solution seeking is future oriented. You know, what will the capabilities of AI be in 10 years? What will, you know, transportation capability be? What will water recycling capability be? You know, you can ask all those questions about, what the future capabilities will be and start planning, you know, solutions today. But, but I really do think history is, um, you know, f- history unfolded in a particular way. You know, the steam engine came along at a particular time. Photography came along at a particular time. Democracy came along at a particular time. And, and I do think it's useful to have a love of history and really understanding the evolution of, of uh, how things came to be. And not just uh, stopping there, but saying, okay, um, how could it have happened faster? How could, you know, what would have had to be there for photography to have been invented, you know, during the Roman Empire? You know, because if you had photography, maybe you could get to lithography making computers faster. So um, I really think, to me, I get a lot of creative inspiration when I look at history and ask, why didn't this happen sooner? You know, what what could have happened to make mm. this thing happen sooner? And that's, that's really important for resilience, too. If we're going to build a more resilient society, we can't just, you know, rebuild things in the way we've built them in the past, but we have to find faster ways to rebuild from scratch. So... So to me, that's a really exciting thing to think about. Well,
0: Jim, it's wonderful that after your 40-year career, you can still be excited and enthusiastic, as you've shown uh, with not only the work that you do, but the work that you have uh, inspired others to do, including ourselves. So we're very grateful for that. And uh, thank you so much for taking your time and giving us these wonderful insights. And uh, for anybody who wants to continue to follow uh, Jim, uh, Jim, uh, can you,
1: you'll have a Twitter handle or a, uh, how would you like people to follow you? At Jim Spore. And I know my last name Spore is pretty hard to, uh, type and remember how to spell so i just say if you go to your favorite search engine and type in ibm space jim usually somewhere on the first page there'll be jim spore and you can just copy the last name spore but uh at jim spore is my twitter handle and that's a great way to follow what i'm thinking about terrific jim thank you so much you take care always great talking to you jeff bye now